Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Eroding beaches on Chicago's lakefront, warmer winters in the upper Midwest, microplastics in our water. What can any one person do? Our best hope for saving the planet and ourselves is through the power of we. Get to the ninth annual One Earth Film Festival, the Midwest's premier environmental film festival. It's March 6th through the 15th. March 6th through the 15th. When? March 6th through the 15th. <laughs> I was waiting for you to say the that. 14th? No. Uh-uh. Pay attention. Take a piece of paper out and a pencil okay. and write it down. March 6th through the 15th. Okay? 15th. And there's 26 films, 48 events, and four counties. What is that again, D? 26. Films. 48. Events. Four. Counties. You can engage with filmmakers and experts. Venues include Tesla Gold Coast, Loyola University, Plant Chicago, Old St. Patrick's Church, Chicago Cultural Center, Lake Theater and Oak Park, and much more. Go to OneEarthFilmFest.org. What is that, D? OneEarthFilmFest.org. One more time. OneEarthFilmFest.org. God, are you good. That's correct. Kim Fox is a proven progressive reformer, fighting gun crime, enacting bail reform, and expunging records from the failed war on crime are a few of her achievements. It takes more than three years to fix the broken justice system. Look at her record, not the rhetoric. Re-elect Kim Fox for Cook County State's Attorney. Paid for by Friends for Fox. Your Ben Jarofsky Show for Thursday, March 12th is just moments away. But before we get into this, we got to thank the following unions for jumping on board and sponsoring this program. Unions like the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8. That's correct. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9. That's correct. The International <laughs> Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. That's correct. And our good friends at the Chicago <laughs> Federation of Labor. I don't know why I'm thinking of this song. But all day I've been singing, how do you like it? How do you like your love? Yes, you have been singing that all day. Mo, mo, mo. Everybody's like, oh, I know that song. Where have I heard that song? Don't you just love that song, everybody? Come on. You'll be singing it all day now. Mo, mo, mo. I don't know who wrote it. I don't know who sang it. Who but sang that song? Let us know if you can hear us and let us know who sang that song. Ben, one more time just so everybody knows. <laughs> okay. Mo mo mo, how do you like your love? Oh, good God! <laughs> All right, the Bendrowski Show starts now. It is Thursday, March twelfth, and live from the Chicago Sun Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue. This is the Bendrowski Show. Today on the program, it's our weekly discussion with In These Times writer Miles Camp Lassen, union man and pension guru Jeff Johnson is back, and our cannabis conversations continues with Joseph Friedman. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarowski. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarowski here. We're calling this Wash Your Hands Thursday. And here's why. Because all I do is wash my hands every day, every minute. I'm like washing my hands at coronavirus, folks. It's no joke. I mean, we kind of make fun of it, but it's really serious. It's no joke. Took the train today, D. I had to go to the doctor's, uh, early doctor's appointment early for me. I was up right now. I was up in Alton time. All right. I was up at about mm, seven o'clock. And so I had to hop on that train. I'll tell you what, folks. I was really freaking out on the train. I'm not going to lie to you because this is, you know, everybody's on the train doing their little train thing. Most people are looking at their phones, but then you, 
it's like with the coronavirus i suddenly picked up on sounds that i don't usually hear like sniffles coughs you know like, oh what what's, what's that guy coughing for get off the train right now and then i'm not like that touch i'm wearing my gloves it was hot but i'm still wearing gloves because i don't want to touch the handles the rail i mean i was I think I'm a germaphobe, man. I was like, it sounds like it. <laughs> so then I get off. I go to the doctors. All things are well. Thanks for asking. And uh, <laughs> I asked. Oh, no, I didn't actually. Sorry. Uh, and so <laughs> it's all good. doesn't matter. Had a delicious breakfast, you know, fortified myself. But I was very worried about the waitresses watching her. You know, she touching the straw. Don't touch the straw. Uh, so when I'm walking uh, up the street, it's like a ghost town, D. I know you rode your bike today, so you yeah. do the usual walk through the loop. I'm, there. I was on the platform at the Brown Line, and the doors opened for me to go in, and I'm like, ah, I don't know. I'm just, just going to ride my bike. Yeah, that was smart. Smart move. <laughs> By the way, how do you like your love? Okay. Uh, and uh, so I'm walking. Nobody's there. It's a ghost town. I'm telling you, usually, you know, when you walk across uh, the bridge at, on Madison, go by the Opera House, there's lots of people coming at you. Nobody there. It was just me. And then, you know, the problem is when I'm walking alone down the street, I have a habit of talking to myself. I think that's why I've been singing this song, because no one's around. So I'm walking along going, how do you like your love? And uh, yeah, it's kind of weird. Maybe our best song of the day. (laughs) Facebook Live audience, you got a treat. Uh, So anyway, get to the Sun-Times. There's no one at the Sun-Times because the Sun-Times is doing a test run, as you know, a test run. They they wrote about it in the editorial today that they're going to, you know, just experiment to see if they could put out a newspaper with the editorial staff, editors and reporters are not at the paper in case there is really, you know, a serious outbreak and there's a quarantine or whatever. People have to be at home working from their home. So it's really quiet here, too. You know, very quiet. And uh, so once you start singing that song. He was doing it in the hallway. I'm like, Ben, just come in the studio. No, You're embarrassing true. us. It is true. You know, I don't know if anybody uh, is old enough to have seen the Breakfast Club movie in the 80s, but that it's uh, that takes place on a Saturday. You remember this movie? Yeah, Day? yeah. I can't believe I'm quoting the Breakfast Club. Anyway, so the just... young Kevin Bacon was in the movie, right? Was it a Kevin Bacon uh, movie? Uh, I don't. Uh, you know. Frank. <laughs> Actually, I don't know if Frank is watching on uh, Facebook, but uh, I, I maybe he would. I for some reason I don't. Remember him, uh, Emilio no. Estevas was wasn't that his name? Martin Sheen's son. Yeah, yeah, he was. He a, was. I think I'm done guy, talking for today. I think that's the guy you think is Kevin Bacon. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't Kevin Bacon. I'm looking it up. Oh, okay. It was Emilio Estevez. It was him, right? Yeah, yeah. that's oh, the guy boy. you thought was Kevin Bacon. Yeah, but anyway, so the, the the relevant part of this movie is that the assistant principal is walking through the empty. So the movie takes place on a Saturday when everybody's at detention. That's why they're there. The Breakfast Club are detention, and the, there's nobody in the school. And the assistant principal is walking down the hall. No one's around. He's talking to himself. That's kind of what I felt today in the Sun Times. And then you turn a corner, and all, all of a sudden you see someone. They go, "Oh, you're as weird as they say you are." Anyway, love uh, our live stream <laughs> chatters, even on Facebook Live. Not Kevin Bacon. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Yeah. It's okay, man. How many times do I say something wrong? Every day, D. Okay. That's why you have erasers at the end of pencils. Only this is a pen. Anyway, uh, what else is my mind? Well, I hate to, uh, to get political with you, but this is a political talk show. But uh, I think we can all agree that the current uh, occupant of the White House is the worst president ever. Definitely within my lifetime, and I've been living a long time. This is the worst president ever. All right. And it's just his just bizarre reaction to this threat that the country's facing right now, the serious uh, health threat that the country's facing that's causing the stock market to go down, 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 and causing panic. This is where you want the leader to reassure you and be the leader. This guy is absolutely worthless. And it kind of reminds me that speaking of movies, it was no, it wasn't a movie, it was a routine. Chris Rock used to do this routine back in the day. It was a funny routine. He was talking about when white people aren't around and black people are just alone, they look around the room, they're white people, they go, yeah, they're talking about OJ. Yeah, OJ did it, of course he did it, right? So I'm wondering if it's the same thing is similar with MAGA hat wearers. They look around the room, any liberals here? No. Oh, God damn, Penny J is right. Trump sucks. It's the worst president ever. You think they do that when, you know, no liberals are in the room? They acknowledge how bad it is, this person that they've elected, that they worship, that they are loyal to? I don't know. I, t- I read a New York Times article today about the uh, official Trump minister of propaganda, Sean Hannity. 
This man is utterly, totally worthless as well. He's making a living doing this. He's going around preaching that it's a hoax. Coronavirus is a hoax, an attempt to what, bring down the president. And so, you know, it's they're made up and exaggerated. And it's like, then the, the article goes on to say that they do these surveys and these polls, actually, uh, David Ferris was talking about this. So the people who re- get their information from Fox are less likely to wash their hands or to believe that it's real or to think that it's not, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's going to fade in like a, a, a week or two. Uh, and, uh, you know, to quote Kim Fox, who's on my mind, folks, you know, that's all a bunch of bull beep. I'm not saying it anymore, right, D? Although the New York Times today I had the word in the New York Times today. They actually wrote it out. No S-H asterisk T. They actually wrote the word out. Mm. Yeah, in a column in the New York Times by Gail Collins. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so, you know, they're, they're slavishly loyal uh, to Donald John Trump. And uh, I don't know what that allegiance is going to do. It's not going to make you know sick people well. It's it's not going to uh, find create more tests to see how many people are sick. It's not going to hasten the development of vaccine to deal with this. Uh, just blind allegiance to an all powerful president is not really a good way to go through life. What did you think of his speech last night? Well, how do I put this? I was with, when when Donald Trump does like what quote a serious speech. I'm always waiting for the eruption. You know what I mean? The, the bar is always so low with Donald Trump. So it's like, okay, is he going to get through this speech without doing something just really inappropriate? Then he makes it. Like, he more or less made it through the speech. So America's like, whoa, that's amazing. And then you just wait for the next tweet. You wait for the next press conference. You wait for the next uh, off-the-cuff comment. And uh, because Donald Trump makes this all about Donald Trump. And so it's, it's as though he's taking this as like a personal threat to him when, of course, it's a it's a catastrophe that the country's facing. We should be coming together. It's really hard to come together with this guy. Uh, but um, anyway, you know, it kind of reminds me of uh, Donald Trump. What was, what's his big solution? He had this solution. Of course, he's going to give a tax break to people. That was what he was talking about. He talked about that in the speech. And I don't know what relevance that will be to anybody. It's not going to, like I said, it's it's not going to help develop a vaccine. It's not going to get more testing out. It's not going to uh, help people in hospitals who are really straining to deal with the uh, the inflow. Uh, it's not going to help companies like the Sun-Times try to figure out, you know, how to navigate the, the possibilities of having to not be able to go to work. It's not going to help the entertainment industry that's really socked because people aren't going to concerts or plays or, or sporting events, etc. It's just... It's just like it kind of reminds me of like uh, at, at uh, Thanksgiving or Christmas time when a Chicago politician goes to a real poor neighborhood and passes out turkeys. And like the attitude is, well, it's really not going to help anybody long term. I mean, you'll have a turkey for Thanksgiving or Christmas, but it's not going to be any long term help. But their attitude is so patronizing and condescending to people. It's like, oh, they're so dumb. I just all I got to do to buy their allegiance is give them a turkey. So that's Donald Trump's attitude about people. All I got to do is just to buy them off, give them a little, put a little money in their pocket. Like, oh, wow, that's great. Yeah, I'm sick. I can't go anywhere, but I got extra ten dollars. Yeah. My oven doesn't work, but thanks for the turkey. <laughs> thanks for the turkey. Anyway, so that's what I think about Donald Trump. He just I, I could just imagine too when the idea came to him and he said it you know, at the White House, he goes, Oh yeah, here's what I'm doing. I'll give him money. Duh, those dummies will fall for it. And then Pence, oh, good idea, boss. That's how he survived. Good idea, boss. Anyway, I gotta believe that the American people, I've been saying this for three years now, that the American people are too smart to fall for it. Meanwhile, I gotta go wash my hands. <laughs> we got a great show today, everybody. Let's Miles Conflaston will be in. I'll tell you what, we our guests are amazing. Yeah. I I I I texted called all the guests today before. Uh, we, you know, I booked these guests like a week or two in advance. So I texted her, called them. I said, look, guys, I can totally understand if you don't want to come in today. Everybody's a little freaking out. You know, maybe you want to stay home. We, it's not the army. It can't make you come in. Every single one of them says we're coming in. How about that? Miles Conflasso will be here uh, in these times. Got a lot to say. He wrote a great column about uh, how Bernie is uh, uh, 
winning the ideas uh, battle in the Democratic primary. And uh, Miles, keeping the faith. I'm with you 100% on that. I'm on Miles Conflasson. We'll come in. we we'll talking Bernie and Biden and the coronavirus, et cetera. Jeff Johnson, union man Jeff Johnson will be coming in. We got a lot. I'm going to be talking. Jeff Johnson's our stock market expert and our. Uh, uh, pension gurus will be talking about the impact of the coronavirus on the markets, et cetera, and so forth. Lisa Solomon, it's it's reefer day on the Ben Jarofsky show. Cannabis. Call it cannabis, please. Um, get that out of your system before they get here, I guess, huh? Cannabis. Cannabis. It's cannabis conversation on the Ben Jarofsky there show. There you go. Uh, Lisa Solomon will be in with Joseph Friedman. Man knows more about cannabis than a lot of people. So he'll be here. We'll be talking cannabis, cannabis, cannabis. We'll also be talking politics, politics, politics. Uh-oh. You all right? Yeah, I'm good. Okay, that cough got me a little nervous. It's like the guy in the train. He starts sniffling. You can suddenly hear all the sounds. Like, are you sniffling? You need a handkerchief? Huh? Huh? Hey, the guy sneezes. Hey, no, sneeze. Put your in your elbow. None of this. Like, just worried about you, D. Anyway. Thank you. The young man from Alton, the man they call the doctor with the news seriously and uh when we take a break we're both gonna go wash our hands and we're gonna put the yeah yeah tissues on the yep. microphone yeah that's another new thing we have tissues that uh i put around the microphone and i put a rubber band around it who was making fun of us yesterday for that everybody <laughs> monroe <laughs> oh silly the health expert monroe anderson how's it going everybody i'm dennis okay today's weird but yeah, let's power weird. through and talk about what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon. Mm. Ben Jarofsky, not one, but two dear friends mm. of this program have recently published essays. And you said you wanted to talk about it. In fact, before the show, you told me to, quote, give you the ball. <laughs> chest pass, to be yeah, exact. I want chest pass, man. So talk well, about our two. Who are our two friends that uh, put uh, some essays out here? Well, let's start with uh, Delmarie Cobb first. Uh, the great Delmarie Cobb, political strategist in this Del town. Marie. Good friend of the Ben Jarofsky show has been on the show many times. In fact, she was just with us uh, at uh, Promontory at the beginning of the month. We were talking about politics. You can uh, download that, by the way. Uh, we made it available for download, both Chicago Reader and Chicago Sun-Times websites, wherever else you download your favorite podcast. It was uh, Primary Night with Del Marie, Jeanette Taylor, Maya Dukmasova, and a fellow named Kofi. That's Kofi. correct. Kofi. Yep. Uh, and uh, we had a great time. Anyway, Del Marie... Uh, in, this is a, a topic that's been on my mind a lot, uh, folks, as everybody knows. Kim Fox was in the studio last Thursday, County State's Attorney Kim Fox. For people outside of Chicago, she's the chief prosecutor for the city of Chicago and the surrounding suburbs. She's up for re-election. Uh, she got herself in trouble with Smollett Gate. We talk about it endlessly and obsessively on this show. Everybody in this town talks about it endlessly and obsessively. The difference is, when I talk about it endlessly and obsessively, it's a form of entertainment. I'm not, like, seriously thinking about bouncing her from office because I think it's relatively a frivolous offense that she committed, which is probably taking a call from a well-connected person and doing a favor uh, for Jesse Smollett's family. I, that, that That's the worst thing you could say about it. It's, it's like a favor in the city of Chicago? I am shocked. Nepotism city? I am horrified. But somehow or other in the city of Chicago, they've turned this into like a capital offense. There's investigations, this, this investigation, that investigation. They, they, they can't have enough investigations. They want to get to the bottom of this. So I, I, I think it's um, a case of people who don't like criminal justice reform, which is what uh, Kim Fox represents, looking for an opportunity to bounce her from office. Uh, she came on the show last week and she uttered the word, can I say it, D, please, please, please? All right, go ahead. Bullshit. She said it's a bullshit thing. Bullshit. And her opponent, Bill Conway, uh, otherwise known as Daddy's Boy, his father is enormously wealthy, can finance a, a campaign. We'll get into that in a little while. Uh, came out with that, ca uh, that ad, which was quoting her over and over again like a bad 1970s song. I, I talked about it on the show. I wrote a column about it. And Delmarie Cobb weighed in. And uh, so she wrote it, weighed in, and I guess this is an example of great minds uh, think alike. I want to get to um, the part of the column that I like the best. Uh, here we go. 
Uh, here we go. Uh, recently, Fox was on the Ben Jarofsky show where she said the manufactured outrage over Smollett was bullshit. Now, one of her opponents is jumping on her comment with a campaign ad to suggest there's a disconnect between her office and what's important to Cook County voters. For decades, under various administrators, under various administrations, the state's attorney's office has operated in cahoots with the CPT. Finally, we have a state's attorney who's implementing progressive policies and criminal justice reform, and there are those who want to throw her out of office because of one innocuous case. To them, the fact that Fox isn't throwing the, quote, Willie usuals, that's what I'm told black suspects were called under state's attorney daily in jail, for every petty crime means she's soft on crime. Well, this may come as a surprise, but to most black voters, the Smollett case is bullshit. Where was the outrage when Detective John Burge was torturing and jailing black and brown men for crimes they didn't commit? State's attorney Richard M. Daley enabled Burge's reign of terror, yet he went on to become Chicago's longest-serving mayor, surpassing his father. And she goes on, got to agree with her. Good job, Delmarie Cobb. Uh, selective, uh, selective rage in the city of Chicago. I could do a whole study on this. I was just having a uh, dinner with a dear friend. Uh, I will not name her because she's a dear friend. I don't, don't want to look like I'm throwing her under the bus. Um, but she, she, you know, it's just funny. I was surprised. She was like, well, I'm really concerned about the Smollett thing. And uh, I'm like, wow. And this woman is more or less liberal. So um, I think the Conway commercials are taking, having effect. I think it, it's definitely along racial lines. I think white people are like, they're just concerned about it. For some reason, it really concerns them. I don't. And again, they weren't that concerned when they were torturing black suspects. I don't remember any white person going, really concerned about this torturing black people. But uh, yeah, they're very concerned about it. So it would be interesting. By the way, I have to say this. I'm not going to name the man's name, but after I uh, wrote about the a column on the subject of the commercial, the Conway commercial, uh, Conway media strategist uh, who, uh, who man- made the commercial sent me an email a trash talking email. Man, even media <laughs> consultants are trash talking these days. He's been watching too many Donald Trump videos. He goes, Glad you liked your place and your cameo in my ad. Did he call you a hippie? <laughs> Didn't call me a hippie. That's probably what he was. <laughs> hippie. This guy's making so much money. Hey, listen, man, nothing but love to you. Take Conway's money. All right? That's good. You're making a living. Take Conway's money. Oh, God. Trash talking. How about that, D? I'm not going to mention your name. I don't even know the guy. He just sent me this. He know, you know he didn't know me because he sent it to my reader. Uh, email. Well, if you'd like to trash the Benny J Show, feel free. BennyJShow at gmail.com. B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J, show at gmail.com. Trash us. It's fine. Anyway, so uh, that's the Del Marie Cop uh, column I urge everyone to read. We should put it on our Facebook page. Give a shout out to, uh, okay. to Del Marie Cop. So anyway, that's my thoughts on that. Oh, the other column you want to talk about. You're looking at me like, oh, that's correct. Come on. Another frequent guest on the Ben Jarofsky show, Pete Cunningham, a.k.a. PC. Uh, He comes on the show once a month or so, another political strategist. Now, curiously enough, Peter Cunningham worked for Richard M. Daley. Peter Cunningham worked for Arnie Duncan. And Peter Cunningham is friends with Rahm Emanuel. He never worked for Rahm, but he's he's friends with him. P- the role that PC played with all these Dem, centrist Dems, is that he's the guy that, like, the, the liberal whisperer. He can <laughs> deal with people like me. He's the bridge to people like me. And it's a very important role. Uh, the Dems need at least one person one, they got to have at least one person that could talk to a lefty. And Peter Cunningham uh, fills that role. God bless them. Someone's got to do it. The rest of those Dems, they, they, like, they hate lefties. So they don't even want to be in a room with them. But PC uh, fills that role. And uh, as such, he wrote a very good column, I must say, in today's bright one. Chicago Sun-Times, home delivered as always. Got to give a shout out to the deliverer who came out to spite uh, the coronavirus fear. fear. Biden must talk honestly about socialism to win over Bernie supporters. And this is a different tone. I'm going to be talking about this with Miles. Uh, Peter Cunningham is a different tone the way he deals with Biden supporters than most Dems. Most Dems are like, shut up, fall in line, do what we tell you, you no good, hippie beeps. Uh, PC uh, takes seriously uh, in this column uh, the concerns of Bernie Sanders voters. I'll give you one example. Here we go. Uh, Here's the lead. 
with former Vice President Joe Biden on a path to capturing the Democratic nomination for president. He needs to talk honestly about socialism if he wants to start to win over uh, Senator Bernie Sanders supporters. And he goes, talking politics with left-leaning millennials begins by acknowledging that things are not okay. Where many baby boomers see climate change as an important issue to address over the coming decades, millennials see it as an existential crisis. They can't wait another year. Uh, For boomers with private health insurance through their employers or Medicare, rising health costs are a problem demanding a technical fix. For millennials, health care is a basic human right and the Affordable Care Act falls short. Here, here, although I would say, PC, there's a lot of boomers out here. (laughs) We're worried about health care particularly now with the coronavirus uh, scare. So anyway, good good column by PC. Uh, giving advice to Bernie, to uh, Joe Biden, got to move left. Joey B, you're not going to win this election by following the old Clinton strategy of moving right. Got to move left, pick up those Bernie supporters, uh, fire up your base. I think you have more in common, the Bernie supporters have more in common with those suburban voters than you think. But don't play that old game where you move to the right because I think it's a losing game. All right, everybody. Now more coronavirus coverage here. And holy crap, did this thing get real serious real quick? Uh, NBA's canceled its season. Ben, I'm surprised you even showed up today after that news. <laughs> My God, you love the NBA. I do love the what NBA. What were your thoughts when, when you heard that? Well, you know, the whole thing, I am I allowed to talk sports? Go ahead. The the Rudy Gobert thing, uh, which is I'm utterly obsessed with, and I know most of my listeners probably don't even know who Rudy Gobert is. He's a center for the Utah Jazz. The Utah Jazz is a basketball team, a professional basketball team. And uh, he, uh, he has the coronavirus. Uh, and so I think he's, I don't know where he is, but they've, They've quarantined him. Then he apparently there's another player in the team. Uh, Donovan Mitchell has it as well. So the Utah Jazz is uh, a team that has at least two members already uh, with the virus. But as a joke, a few days ago, you know, people were asking him, reporters were asking him, uh, Gobert about it. And he was just like a joke. It's easy. I mean, it's easy for all of us to make jokes, but some jokes go kind of far. He started touching all the microphones of all the reporters in the uh, the press conference room, he's like a joke. Uh, here, I'm touching all your mics. Oh, yeah. And now he has the virus. Now the reporters are freaking out. They want to get tested. Uh, so it wasn't the best of all jokes. Anyway, so that was like an obsessive topic of conversation in my household last night where I was explaining it to my wife, who doesn't follow basketball, so I had to tell her who Rudy Bear was, Utah Jets. Anyway, so yeah, um, never seen anything like this. And in fact, it's interesting because when I was uh, having breakfast today, I, had the, I was in a, in a diner and they had the, what's that show that you love, D? Um, Stephen A. Smith. Oh, First Take? Yeah, he, yeah. by the way, he won't do it, but he does a good Max Kappelman? Is Max that Kellerman. Kellerman and uh, Stephen A. Smith. Dennis does a great imitation. Well, the of Lakers th- are just crazy, you know? <laughs> I think they're going to win it up. Max Kellerman. That's, all, that's it. Come that's on, it. Max Kellerman. <laughs> Sometimes I just call Dennis and say, hey, man, do, do Stephen A. Smith for me, would you? <laughs> do Max Kellerman for me, would you? <laughs> do Marge Simpson for me, would you? He's like, all right, that's it. No more imitation. Anyway, I'm in, I'm, I'm in this restaurant. I see the two of them talking. I can't hear any The sound's down. And I can see... Since there's no sports to talk about, the NBA's canceled. Uh, they're just talking about their the life or something. <laughs> yeah, I woke up today. Uh, <laughs> they don't know what to talk about. They're singing, how do you like your love? <laughs> anyway, I bet you Stephen Smith knows that song because he's a 70s guy. All right. Max Kellerman. Huh? I've never heard that song. <laughs> I don't know if I like it. <laughs> Come on, Max Kellerman. I love that show. Uh, it's funny. It's more of a Skip and Shannon kind of guy, but whatever. Uh, yeah, I just love when Steven gets mad at Max and starts yelling at him. Anyway, uh, so, yes, uh, I'm gonna, it's going to be tough for me. I'm going to be watching old games. What I'll do with D is I'll just go into YouTube and uh, I'll start watching. Oh, yeah, I do this anyway. Don't, don't let this get around. Let's watch that Bulls championship game from 1993. I'll bet you Paxson's going to make the three at the end of the game to win it. That's always fun when it happens. Actor Tom Hanks and his wife. What do you think about that when that news happened? Uh, you know, I was, uh, that was 
that was like a moment like oh this is real you know what i'm saying it's like this is real it's like people i know have this i don't know them, but people i, I know of, say, you, know, you know uh so yeah in fact you know who broke his story to all to me was uh, lisa solomon who be coming on the show our cannabis cannabis expert not our reefer expert our cannabis expert thank you uh so we were talking on the phone to see if she was going to come into the studio and she had been obsessively following all the news so i was getting this pre pretty much from the lisa wire so she was like, Tom Hanks has it. But then it's funny because she was talking about basketball, but she, she was clearly a non-basketball fan. I'm going to give her a hard time about this. She comes in. So she didn't know the names of she, some guy. She, I'm like, I'm trying to figure out. I think it's Utah. You know, she knew like a few basics. <laughs> Not a, but suddenly she was forced to talk about basketball. So that's how, that's how I heard about it. I heard it from Lisa Solomon. And yeah, it brought it home in many ways. Hey, everybody. What you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F-M as in Mary, A-N as in Nancy, U-E-L-P-I-A-N-I-S-T.com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. Hey, D. Yeah? Did I tell you that the Ben Jarofsky Show is sponsored by Rattleback Records? No. Well, it is. Rattleback Records at 5405 North Clark Street is Andersonville's full-service record store. Hey, D. Did I tell you it was voted one of Chicago's best record stores in the 2019 Chicago Reader Poll? No. Well, it was. Wow. Rattleback Records, 5405 North Clark Street. Used and new LPs and 45s. They got CDs, DVDs, books, gifts, and much more. For more information, contact them at rattlebackrecords.com. That's R-A-T-T-L-E-B-A-C-K records.com. Commercial break over. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Every Thursday, Miles Conflassen comes in here from In These Times, a writer, columnist. And uh, Miles, I gave you a chance. I sent you that uh, text this morning. Don't You don't have to come if you don't want to, and here you are. So congratulations. Yeah, I mean, the, we just had a meeting at my office, to be honest, and discussed kind of measures. We're going to try out... Uh, working from home next week, but you know, I mean, it's it's very unclear, and that's just the the problem is we have not had any real you know leadership from the top federally in terms of what uh, different localities should do. So, um, but I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, we haven't had any leadership from the top. Yeah. It's been a joke, and uh, I, I was I told you this. Uh, I read this column. We've been all been working from the assumption that the coronavirus is very weird, uh, very real, and I think you should work from that assumption. But Rick Morrissey, a sports writer, sports columnist for the Chicago Sun-Times, uh, wrote a column. And, and Morrissey, I got to say this for, uh, I'm a big fan of Rick Morrissey. I read him all the time, I'm a big sports fan. But he's so used to covering Chicago sports executives who are even perhaps more disingenuous than Chicago politicians. So he's even more jaded and cynical than I am, okay? I have such a thing as possible. He, he's the kind of guy, like if you tell him the sun is in the air, he looks up and goes, oh, I'm not sure about yeah. that. They, they, and I don't blame him because he's used to covering the BS that comes out of the bears and the bulls, et cetera. So uh, here, here's his lead. 
My thoroughly uneducated guess is that we are overreacting to the coronavirus. But what I am absolutely sure of is that the fear surrounding it is real and that the fear may matter more than the disease. And then he goes to talk on about the impact that the coronavirus has on the world that he covers, which is sports. And I struggle with this. Are we overreacting uh, to the coronavirus? I know I have the fear. I was talking, uh, Miles, when I was taking the train in today and I heard people sniffling. I was like, what are you doing in here? Go yeah. home. Uh, but d- d- is there a part of you that thinks we're overreacting to this at all? Well, I hope we are. I mean, that would be the best case scenario, obviously, is if we, you know, all just (laughs) washed our hands a lot and, you know, ended up with a shorter flu season and, you know, it's uh, could be um, a a beneficial health wise. But no, of course, I don't think we're overreacting. I think that, you know, there's no doubt of look at the economic impacts that are already happening. I mean, that isn't there's a fear of contagion, obviously, which is. Um, you know, very deep and uh, true fear for people to have, especially older uh, Americans. I mean, these are the oldest uh, generations, the ones that are the most threatened by this. If you look in Italy, it's a 23% death rate for people over 65 that contract Mm. uh, the virus. In the UK, it's almost 20% now. And this is just people, you know, that we've tested. In the US, obviously, we have done, you know, almost no testing. The CDC has testing in the single digits, literally. They've, you know, some days they've tested no people. Some days they've tested eight. Some days 15. Trump said, you know, we were going to be testing, his FDA said we're be testing a million people by now a day. And we haven't, you know, come anywhere close to that. It's seriously in the single digits. So we just don't know right now um, what is the, you know, how far the virus has spread and how deep it is into our communities. We do know it's mutating, you know, it's changed since it was in uh, Wuhan. And that means it could be more threatening for different populations than it has been um, in other areas. But the other threat is just, you know, families that are going to be thrown into bankruptcy by this. Because look, you can't go to work. There's no paid sick leave. Um, there's not protections on your housing. So people are getting evicted. I mean, these threats are all here and they're happening now. Yeah. And uh, it's funny you should say that people, uh, mm-hmm. the, the economic impacts on, on working people. One of the things I saw when I was coming through the loop was very deserted in the loop. Uh, clearly a lot of offices are asking their workers to work from home, but there are cabs everywhere. Yeah. These guys got to make a living. You know, it's just like <laughs> you miss a day. It's nobody's going to, uh, you can't work from home obviously, and they're not going to pay you. Uh, there's no sick leave. There's no sick leave. And that, that's, you know, there's this whole, uh, you know, situation just makes the clear case that we need massive societal change in order to deal we need to summon all of the strength of you know state power of you know of our federal government to dispatch support and help to uh, frontline communities across the country and right now we know that could be everywhere you know it's not just if you look at what's happening in washington state in seattle there's a lack of you know uh, beds of icus of emergency rooms this could be the case you know in cities across the country and this is the the the, the place that the federal government has to step in. This is, you know, it's not like we can count on local municipalities to deal with a crisis of this scale. Um, and that means doing things like providing uh, guaranteed paid sick leave. That means, you know, what Trump said in his speech last night was so irresponsible for him to give that speech. I mean, I've I've been very upset with this president since he's been in office, but that might be the darkest moment because of how he misrepresented this crisis. I mean, he said, if you want, he's, he's said before, if you want a test, you can get it. That's completely untrue. Yeah. He also said that, you know, he talked to insurers and they're going to waive fees associated with coronavirus <laughs> immediately after that, all these insurers said, no, we'd never agreed to that. You know, they, they, they had preliminary discussions about waiving fees around testing, but nothing about uh, treatment. So, you know, for him to misrepresent in, in, in such a clear way what the government is actually doing, um, he said that they're going to be testing everybody coming back from Europe as a result of this travel ban that doesn't really make any sense either. And that's not true. They're not testing people coming back. So, I mean, w- what we need to think about is how we can take action to uh, you know, provide care for the most uh, needy individuals, and that's going to mean providing uh, guaranteed free health care. And it's going to mean, as I said, providing paid sick leave, having, you know, a freeze on evictions that just happened in Miami-Dade uh, County that could happen nationwide if we had the political will to do it. I just think we're going to need uh, to take action that we are not taking right now. Well, you know, listening to uh, what you're saying, I'm flashing back to the debates of the summer and 
and how Bernie, I'm, and by the way, I have to start by saying, I am, I'm one of those Bernie supporters who, how do I put this, Miles? It's like since he's on the ropes and since it's pretty obvious, we'll get into all the politics of this, yeah. that he's not going to be the nominee. Alicia sure looks that way. He's not going to be the nominee. Maybe you, you're a little more hopeful than I am. Um, my love for the guy has really gone up. Yeah. Bernie Sanders has been saying the right thing, at least on a national stage, for the last five years. He's, and he's usually the lone voice. Uh, and he's isolated his own party, and the leaders of his party, the, the, the centrists, the Democratic centrists, have been rolling their eyes, they've been mocking him, belittling him, uh, and trying to isolate his supporters and just try to push them to their view of the world. And now we're seeing with this crisis how important all the positions he's been championing all these years, how important all these ideas he's been articulating all these years are. Like Trump last night, in his own feeble way, was stealing from Bernie. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I agree. I think that that's that's the wild thing. You're going to see more and more of it. I mean, even Ben Shapiro, this you know right wing fool, uh, you know, is, is tweeting out, "Shouldn't everybody be getting tested?" You know, this is it's so clear that even the far right can see that everybody should have access to health care. This is the thing that they've been you know fundamentally opposed to for you know for years, for decades. I mean, it's the their whole cause celeb is let the market solve these things. Well, what Bernie Sanders has been saying, what, you know, the young nascent progressive movement in America, what the democratic socialist movement has been saying is, no, we can't give these basic services that everybody needs access to, uh, to the whims of the market. And that, you know, of course, that's things like education and um, housing. It's also healthcare. I mean, healthcare is such a fundamental aspect of, you know, providing for citizens that that needs to be taken out of the marketplace. We can't have a profit motive when we're trying to deal with a virus that does not, you know, it does not care who we, if you're rich or if you're poor, it is just coming for you. And so we need to decommodify healthcare and we need to provide it to everybody. It's making such a clear case, not just for Bernie's program, but for how he views uh, the role of government in mm -hmm. public life. And I think that we're just going to continue to see that throughout this crisis because it's not uh, going away. And we're already, look what just happened today. The Fed announced that it's uh, going to pump $1 trillion into the financial markets to help you know calm fears and steady the ship, essentially. It's just another bailout, uh, ultimately, but it's you know understandable in the face of this crisis. But nobody asked a single person, how are you going to pay for that? Yeah. And yet that's the question we've heard time and time and time again throughout this Democratic primary from the mainstream media. Anytime a social program that would help working people is proposed, it's immediately shot down with questions. We can't pay for it. Yeah. We can't afford that. Sorry, just can't do it. Well, now when we're in a crisis, when people are treating something as a crisis, the way that you know having 80 million uh, uninsured or underinsured people is, to me, a crisis, suddenly we find the money to pay for it. I mean, that's the, the point that... Sanders supporters have been making for years now, and finally, you know, it's becoming very clear. Um, you know, unfortunately, we're pretty deep into the primary season already, so you know, it's, it took until now and for, for for these things to become clear to the American people. Well, I, God, there's so much to unpack on what you just said. I mean, I know you agree with me. I don't want health scare to force people to confront the inadequacies of our market-driven healthcare system. Yeah. So, but in reality is that's what it's taken. So go, go back and just, this is what I was saying, go back and replay the debate. I'm gonna name them, Amy Klobuchar, Pete Buttigieg, Joe Biden. These were the three most prominent voices that I heard, uh, again, you know, trivializing Bernie uh, and mocking his plan and with their eyes rolling saying, how are we going to pay for this? You keep saying healthcare for all sounds great. How are we going to pay for it? And I know what ordinary people, you know, American citizens want. I could just hear, and now I'm doing my Amy Klobuchar. <laughs> you know, I could hear, and I can hear what they're saying. They're saying it doesn't add up. They're saying, I like my healthcare plan. They're saying, this is just socialism yeah. and and a old Buddha judge echoing it, and Joe Biden going, the numbers don't add up. Yeah, and and now of course, no, nobody's talking. I think it was seven hundred billion dollars was the estimate, just the early estimate of all the things that they're roughly talking about doing. I don't know if they. Well, I, it could be far, far more. I mean, we. I I think that by you know my my 
gut tells me that this is there's going to far exceed all the TARP and all the bailouts from 2008 in terms of the amount of um, money that is going to be spent at a federal level to deal with uh, this crisis as, you know, we should, as I said, summon every, you know, uh, uh, outlet we have in order to deal with uh, this this virus in order to stop it in order to contain it um, but the you know the hypocrisy of so many of the political establishment uh, who's said yes for years that we can't afford to deal with crises until suddenly now you know this is a crisis that affects them as well I mean it affects the stock market affects the economy affects all these macro level things but it also as we can see Tom Hanks has the virus. You know, NBA players have the virus, as you said. And we think, oh, is there just famous people getting the virus? No, it's just they are the only ones that can access <laughs> testing right now yeah. because working people can't. And it's just like what happened, you know, when we had a government shutdown and the, you know, as soon as the p- rich people couldn't get on their flights because, you know, the aviation and the, t- the, the TSA agents weren't going to work, suddenly we found money to deal with that. Because when these problems trickle up and they start to affect people at the upper echelons of society that have been ignoring these issues for years and never had to deal with them, them, suddenly, you know, we summon the, you know, the courage and the will and everything. We're going to throw everything at that. The problem is the person at the top, Donald Trump, still is just, you know, spreading uh, rampant lies. He's put Pence and Kushner in front in, in charge of this crisis, not listening to any of the scientists. And so we're still not. T- we just still don't know how deep it is. What we do know is that the virus is here, that it's spreading that cutting off travel is not going to solve this problem. What we need is testing and what we need is treatment. We need to back up. You know, there's hospitals that are now being forced to reopen. You know, hospitals have closed down because they didn't have enough money, because they didn't have enough staffing, because they're all run through, you know, private entities that are trying to make money. Now, suddenly they're being, you know, people are trying to reopen them because we need to have um, enough the infrastructure to deal with the crisis that's coming. All right. Donald Trump's idea about a tax break. I'm listening to you and thinking about the enormous cost, uh, which I think pretty much everyone in America would want to see occur. They might even say, yeah, stop spending money on uh, arms that we don't need uh, and spend the money on finding a cure or uh, finding a vaccine or doing testing, basically. Well, we could. the government's not even doing that. That's the other side of this is that big pharma basically runs, you know, healthcare in America. And so because there's a profit motive attached to R&D, to research and development, they're, you know, trying to get, you know, solve erectile dysfunction rather than try to, you know, develop antibiotics and antivirals, the things that we actually need because there's not as much money in that. I mean, there's potential to even have a vaccine for influenza and yet we haven't developed it because all, because the, you know, the incentives are all for developing products that will just have a return on the investment. So that's why the government, I think, really needs to step in and take over um, uh, providing and distributing testing as well as treatment because we can't just leave it up to the private companies. What's your thought? on uh, Donald Trump's idea what, of a tax cut. Because here we are talking about spending money, uh, and then he's talking about he, he, the first idea that he led with was uh, a tax break for everybody, a payroll tax cut. Well, uh, what, from what I understand, it would be um, uh, directed towards employers, which rather than the you know workers. So, I mean, it's probably, it's, I don't think you people like you or I are going to see a benefit from that. And even if we did, it would probably be minuscule. I mean, what we need is <laughs> to have health care. You know, we, it, that's, what we, that's where the money should be going, not just to provide, you know, help for big companies and corporations who are going to be the main beneficiaries of any payroll tax. Uh, tax cut. Uh, but he also is talking about uh, bailouts of the shale industry, the fossil fuel industry, essentially, um, the cruise ships, the hotel industry, of which, of, co- of course, he has a huge vested interest as you know, managing this hotel empire. Um, these are his solutions. It's just more money to save corporate America and not to uh, provide help at the front lines. As I said, for working people. I mean, w- w- look, we've got hundreds of thousands of people in this country that work in home care, that work in nursing. These are the people that are most vulnerable. Even you see it now. We've got, you know, uh, uh, um, an election coming up here in a few days. All these polling locations. My polling location was at um, uh, an old folks home. You know, nursing homes all across the the city. That had they had to move it. 
they shut it down because they said, you know, the risk is too high. So they're, you know, last minute moving these polling locations. I think it just goes to show, you know, the risk that uh, exists for people that are in these uh, areas where it's likely to have spread. And we also know, you know, there's a CPS teacher that has contracted the virus from a cruise that now is, you know, we just don't know how deep this is spread in our city or in our country. And so that's where I think all of the resources should be expended, not towards bailing out the shale industry. Absolutely. Or uh, really bailing out any industry at the moment. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, I have this sense sometimes that there's like a network of people in Donald Trump's administration uh, that are trying to do more or less the right thing, mm-hmm. are trying to be like a grown-up in the room. And part of what their job entails is handling Trump. You yeah. know what I mean? The man's a lunatic, yeah. so you have to say the right things to pacify him, make him feel good about himself. Yes. And then you got to go deal with Nancy Pelosi to try to get legislation through that would be that would help somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but you never know when he's going to topple you. So last night, his speech, he was more or less under control. Yeah. You never know if it's going to last the next day or the, you know what I'm saying? You don't know if in tomorrow he's going to say something ridiculous and absurd. Uh, this is kind of what scares me. Uh, I try not to think about this too much. The fact that there's nobody in control who is like responsible. Yeah. Uh, well, he put Mike Pence in control. I mean, there you go. That's, he put that's, Mike uh, Pence in control who, you know, has been alongside Donald Trump trying to look what Donald Trump had said in late February was that we are seeing the numbers go down. Yeah. He said, he said, you know, in a couple weeks it would be down to zero and look what's happening. We're on pace with Italy in terms of the, you know, the, the ones we, the cases we know about. So they've lost all credibility. Um, but the other thing that is, you know, he sounded under control last night. I agree in some way, but he also misspoke or just made things yes. up. No, you're right. <laughs> throughout the speech, as I said, he, you know, he said that insurers were going to yeah. cover costs. They immediately yeah. said no. He said we're shutting down good sh- sh- shipment of goods between the U.S. and Europe, which caused massive panic, and then that had to be rolled back. So, I mean, even when he's sedate and not, you know, you know, completely full of bluster, even though I will say that was a very like nationalist speech. You know, he kept talking about how we he. Said we're um, what do you call it? He's, he's used the word perfect to describe uh, our response yeah. as, he, as he's wont to do, and just talked about how we're going to be safe and you know America strong. America is the strongest economy in the country, and this chest beating stuff. When it's like you know we're we're flying blind here, and it's because of his administration being completely uh, inept. And it's going to you know what just happened as well. I mean, Mitch McConnell just said they're going to you know uh, not deal with this uh, bill in the Senate to you know, respond to the coronavirus until after the recess so that they could have more time to figure it out. Con- the congressional recess is 11 days from now. So they're just giving up. On, the Republican Party is just giving up on any federal action right now to deal with this crisis. And it's partially because they're following the lead of Donald Trump, who clearly is just saying numbers are going down well, and everybody's getting tested and just you know, the, telling a completely different reality than what it, we're living through. And, and Miles, that's what I was getting at. That, I, I did not hear that Mitch McConnell uh, proclamation. That's... That's more. That's that's even more frightening. Yeah. You know, we're gonna wait till. What? I'm absorbing that right now. Why would you wait? What are you waiting for? Well, one of the reasons people are saying that it is because the reporting is because fighting over the Hyde Amendment because they don't want this to you know any help on healthcare to potentially cover um, reproductive health for women. So that's you know one of the sticking points in this. But the way that they're dealing with it is just saying saying we'll shelve it until after the recess. Why is there even a recess? I mean, I hope that by the end of this conversation and by the end of the day that they've canceled that and they will decide to stay um, in session to deal with a crisis of this proportion. But that's, I mean, I can't imagine that the Republican Party thinks that that would be good for them to block a bill like this right now. No, but this this underscores the point I'm making, that probably the biggest problem impeding the government right now from dealing with this is the person in charge of government, Donald Trump. And so everybody's sort of placating him. And everything, your analysis of the speech is absolutely correct. Everything has to be presented according to the narrative. We're great. The rest of the world is not great. I've made, we're even greater because of me. Uh, and we're going to be greater, greater, greater. And it's just a matter of, uh, you, you know, tax cuts and spending more. Uh, and and so our, you're right. So then people are like, okay, 
how do we get this guy to concentrate on directing all the money we need toward research or all the money we need toward uh, more testing or you know what I'm saying? Yeah. All the money we need to shore up our hospital. That's what scares me too. If, if the uh, hospital workers get sick. Of course. You know. I mean, and, and you know, the, the containment measures in other countries are far, far more aggressive in terms of the mainly the amount of testing. I mean, that is the biggest thing that we have failed at so far mm -hmm. is just providing testing because we need to know who's sick so we know who to contain. And in terms of placing people in isolation. But there are examples of, look, at even in China, we're seeing the numbers um, go down substantially. That's also true in South Korea. Um, in Taiwan, there's areas, you know, where they have effectively dealt with this virus. It's not as if it's, you know, we don't understand how to uh, deal with it. It just hasn't been done. And it hasn't been done to scale whatsoever. It's only been done for, you know, celebrities and, you know, and the people that uh, that see it, you know, when you, an NBA player gets uh, sick and gets uh, infected with the virus, they cancel the season, you know, because they realize the um, the impact that this could have and um, what it what it could hold. So, I mean, I think that that's just the issue is that people just haven't realized how far this uh, this likely is already spread. suspended the season. Uh, okay, <laughs> just let's get that correct. It's people, true. We might come back. I mean, it's it, it, suspended. It, the season. As I said, as we started this conversation, it's possible this is you know, if not an overreaction, at least you know, it's we're we're not in as bad as the worst case scenario. And the NBA season could be back on. They could bring back the MLB, which also just you know suspended their spring training all of you know baseball operations march madness they just canceled the big east in the middle of a game yeah. so i mean it's possible these things could come back but i think that we should get used to the possibility that they won't well the in terms of the national basketball association the basketball league the the the, the problem it's they're confronting a very real situation in, in a way that uh, the Trump administration is not. So there's one team that had a player who, uh, who is infected, Rudy Gobert, the Utah Jazz. And so they're concerned that they could have possibly infected other teams. Yeah. So then they went back and they looked at the teams that had played the Utah Jazz within the last, what was it, two weeks or yeah. so. And then they realized, well, there's a possibility that... Uh, Though each of those teams could have had players who infected players on other teams, exactly. and so that's why they say, "All right, we're going to call it off for a while." Exactly, and so and those and those populations are clearly more susceptible because so much travel and interaction and everything like that. But the same thing could be true for regular people who you know go to a public place and you know interact with their family and their family travels. You know, the whole the 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 vectors of how this spreads exist on the societal level the same way that they do in terms of the NBA. So I think that that's how we have to be thinking about it. But they've just, you know, they were the ones that had um, access to it. So they figured it out. But I mean, to get, you know, into the politics a little bit about this, I think that, you know, what we're going to see, there's going to be a debate on Sunday between Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. I can't imagine a scenario in which, I mean, clearly they just moved it from Phoenix to D.C. They announced that there's not going to be um, an audience for the debate. Even one of the moderators that was planned to be there, Jorge Ramos, apparently was uh, around somebody who tested like they might be positive, so he's not going to participate. So the whole thing is shrouded in this you know, crisis that we're, that we're facing. And so I cannot imagine that that won't color the debate. And as I said before, if you were are looking at this in terms of, you know, social well-being and health and safety, public health, you have to prioritize summoning the government to solve these problems. And that is exactly what Bernie Sanders has been running on for you know, his entire career is saying we can't have work requirements for SNAP and other assistance programs. You know, pe the federal government should be providing a social safety net for exactly these types of situations where we don't know and we need to just provide basic services for our people. I mean, that's the reason that Social Security was invented. That's the reason Medicaid, Medicare and Medicaid were um, for, uh, first invented in order to provide that safety net and expanding the safety net through providing things like education and healthcare and housing and all of the elements of Bernie Sanders' program are exactly what we need right now. I mean, I cannot imagine a counter case for that. So I think it's going to be a real test for Joe Biden to provide, you know, a counter argument to that or submit that he now agrees with what Bernie Sanders is saying. But, you know, if you look at, you know, the, the, the column I wrote about this uh, shows that even in all these states that uh, Biden has been winning, overwhelming numbers 
of uh, voters are saying they want an economic transformation. They want to transform the economy, and they want a more progressive nominee than um, was, than Barack Obama. They they want somebody who will not just return us to Trump, but take us even further. And a majority of them are saying they want Medicare for all, even in states like Mississippi, where Joe Biden cleaned up. You know, over sixty percent of the voters said they wanted Medicare for all. So I cannot imagine a scenario where that is not a key part of the debate. All right, let's just go straight to political talk for a moment here. And I've been absorbing, you know, everybody knows I'm a Bernie guy, so I've been yeah. absorbing uh, the fact that Joe Biden will be the nominee. I'm a good sport. I congratulate him. I congratulate his supporters. We have tons of Biden supporters on this show. As you know, I think you've debated a few of them. And uh, so that's reality. You lose a primary. If you're a party guy, you support the party. I've been a de- voting Democrat my entire life. Yeah. I'm a little, sometimes it's really difficult, but um, anyway, so uh, at the same time, I, I think Bernie was right. He said this the other day, and I'm paraphrasing, I think I may have texted this to you. Uh, he, Bernie, believes that he won the battle of the ideas, but uh, Joe Biden is winning the battle of the electability. Mm-hmm. And there's a consensus on the part of Democratic voters uh, that Joe Biden's more electable. And it's clear, it's very clear now that the number one objective of the democratic the most democratic voters in this primary is to defeat donald trump Mm -hmm. and i don't blame him this guy is a disaster this shows it right now the way he's mishandling this incredible crisis we're facing proves that he's a utter disaster so what i'm saying is this how far do you think bernie can push joe biden to the left well, I first of all, as you know, uh, I'm, I don't think that it's pure naivete, but I do, uh, or, or delusion, but I do think that while the primary is still ongoing, uh, and you know, there's over 20 states left to vote, and Joe Biden is still not even halfway to the delegate count he needs to reach the nomination, that it would be unfair to not just Bernie Sanders and his supporters, of course, of which I count myself one, but to democracy, you know, itself, you know, to having a spirited primary debate for us to foreclose on the idea that Bernie Sanders could win the nomination. Look, a few weeks ago, people were saying Joe Biden was dead in the water. You know, uh, before that, you know, Elizabeth Warren was, I'm not, you know, trying to say that there's going to be a magic, you know, a miracle that is going to suddenly change the dynamic. It's quite possible Bernie Sanders loses every primary, you know, state on Tuesday, including Illinois, and that will incredibly narrow any possibility. What are the it, other states? I can't off the top of my head. Ohio and Florida, and I forget. Yeah. The, I forget the fourth one. So it's going to be rough. Yeah. I predict. I predict a rough night, no doubt. <laughs> Can I have some of those delusion pills you're taking? <laughs> but that said, I mean, there's a debate on Sunday. There's a national crisis happening right now. There's yeah. reifying Bernie Sanders. Sanders' entire agenda. I don't think it's fair to just say, you know, at this point, the only prospect for Bernie Sanders is pushing Joe Biden left. That's quite, it's quite possible it'll come to that. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, myself, I think that that is, you know, uh, something that is, would not be like a disaster for American politics for us to wind up with, uh, you know, a a fighting spirited progressive movement in this country that has the ability to um, move not just the Democratic Party, but American politics as a whole to the left. Um, But to answer your question, I mean, the things that I think will uh, be critical for if, if Joe Biden becomes the nominee, as many people expect, Um, If he wants to, if you look at the states uh, that have voted so far, Mm -hmm. Bernie Sanders is overwhelmingly young one young people and that's not just people you know (laughs) under 20 that's people 45 and under you know so it's a wide swath of the population. Um, He's also overwhelmingly won Latino support. And the third thing that he has not talked about as much is he's overwhelmingly won independent support. So the ind- independents have gone for Bernie Sanders, self-declared independence over Joe Biden in almost, you know, I think, over twice this uh, number of states than went for, for Biden. So that's, you know, a huge part of the Democrat, potential Democratic electorate in November of 2020 that I think will need to be brought along somehow. And those are people that believe in what Bernie Sanders is saying. They believe in his message. And that's the agenda that they want to fight for. What Bernie has always said is, you know, not me, us. It's not about him as a candidate. It's about building a movement that will fight for issues that will make life better for working people across the country. And those are things like free college, uh, $15 minimum wage, Medicare for all, uh, Green New Deal to stop 
climate change, you know, in its tracks, and obviously massive government support to provide help for working people when a, 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 vi- a deadly virus is mm-hmm. hitting the country. So that's the opportunity, I think, for Joe Biden if he wants to win over Bernie Sanders supporters, which obviously would help him in the primary fight, let alone, you know, in November. Um, but that's going to involve taking on some of these issues that he has so far been resistant to. I mean, even in that interview the other day, he said uh, w- uh, with Lawrence O'Donnell, he said he, he, he raised the specter of vetoing Medicare for all, yeah. uh, even if it passed through a Democratic Congress. I mean, what? What? Not no other Democrat has has said something like that. I mean, that to me shows somebody that's not ready to take on, uh, you know, or move to, move to the left when it comes to yeah. healthcare and, and and trying to take on Bernie's agenda. So I hope that for the better of the country, whether Biden is the nominee or not, he changes his tune on the, at least that issue. Well, I I'll tell you what. Uh, and Jeff Johnson's in the studio. We're going to bring him on real soon, our next guest. But I just say this: I've watched a lot of politicians over the years evolve. Yeah. Okay, and they say one thing when they're candidates, they evolve somewhere else. And I'm thinking the the most obvious example, I use it all the time in this show, is Biden and Obama on gay marriage. Mm -hmm. They were definitively against it when they were running in 2008 because I I just think that their pollsters told them it was a losing issue for them. And then when when it was uh, it was safe to be for it, they were for it. So I'm. I'm, I hear what you're saying. I listen to what Biden says, but I'm also aware he's a politician. He's a Dem, and they are very capable if they feel the wind is blowing uh, to move the other way. And that's why I'm really curious to, to your point. Uh, not just Bernie, what the idea is he, he's going to put forth on Sunday. Like to see how Biden, if he's going to change some of his rhetoric uh, in the face. I of I do the too, especially especially because I think in terms of the polls. The left has won, you know, the, in terms in the of I- in, yes. on the ideas. The, the, ideas. The, 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 the public sentiment is with Bernie's agenda. That's what, you know, I wrote about. The problem isn't that. It's that, you know, when it came to gay marriage, there was not, you know, massive corporate and institutional uh, support hanging in the balance necessarily. You know, there was, it was more about public sentiment. When it comes to this, if you're going to fight for that, that means you have to take on the insurance industry and the private insurance companies. And that's where I think Joe Biden has been more resistant when it comes to actually taking stances that will require a fight. So that's that's what I want to see. Fair enough. Jeff Johnson on deck. We're going to bring him on. Before we do, tell folks about your latest article, where they can find it and all that good stuff. Yeah. So uh, check out uh, InTheseTimes.com. I have an article called Despite His Losses, Bernie Sanders' Agenda is Winning. Um, check that out. We've got a lot of great stuff up on the site right now, including about... Uh, you know, the ways to deal with coronavirus, why it shows the need for, as I said, paid sick leave and um, Medicare for all. You can follow me on uh, Twitter at uh, at Miles Camp Lass at Miles K Lassen. That's M-I-L-E-S-K-L-A-S-S-I-N. And um, I want to, you know, give a big shout out for you guys getting uh, all over TV. I keep seeing the Ben Jarofsky show oh, logo yeah. Oh, everywhere. Yeah. Bill Conway, my <laughs> new best friend. Uh, a lot of free advertising <laughs> in there. <laughs> Billy Lord. C. Is You'll that... forever be associated with the, that uh, dirty word now. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. No, uh, yeah. We've had a lot of fun with that one. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, his media strategist was trash talking me he sent me a trash talking email everybody's been watching too much trump yeah uh he called, so, he called leave, ben a hippie leave ben alone uh, <laughs> whoever you are yeah anyway uh miles conflasson from in these times we have four journalists folks if you're just listening to the first time every tuesday maya comes in uh every wednesday monroe anderson comes in uh, every fr- friday romana hussein comes in as we start these shows with journalists and miles comes in every thursday appreciate it miles uh Thank coming you. down today all the, the fear about coronavirus and you came in and uh, now just take yourself go take a shower or something (laughs) i'm definitely washing my hands Uh, jeff johnson on deck we're going to bring him on when we return